When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Mini Break, your date podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Monday, January 15th, day two of the 2024 Australian Open, now officially in the books. We had 56 singles matches on the calendar today, thus the slightly later release to this podcast, as I had to watch at least the three-minute highlight package of each and every match that unfolded throughout the course of the day. I have now officially completed that task. Thus, I feel properly prepared to share my thoughts, and boy, do I have many of them. Coming off of day two of the year's first major, of course, I want to break down my headlines for the day. First, for all of you listeners, I have six of them I want to get into, including perhaps most notably the fact that we had seven women seeds fall in round one matches on day number two of this event. Of course, most notably, 2023 Wimbledon champion Marketa Vondrosova not just eliminated she got handled pretty easily by Diana Yastremska yesterday, a 1-2 and two victory for the 23-year-old Ukrainian. Now, I'll get into why it was very clear Vondrosova was not at her best to start that match, but that is a notable scoreline and certainly a reminder of the power tennis Yastremska is capable of playing when at her best. Is 2024 going to be a resurgent year? We can debate that question as we get into her level from her round one upset victory. Of course, seeds like Matova, Alexandrova, Potapova, Vekic, and others all eliminated on day number one. So, of course, that's going to be our lead storyline, some serious women's seed carnage unfolding or whatever that metaphor is supposed to go, wherever, excuse me. Uh, certainly, we had some women's seed carnage generated throughout the course of day number two. So that is going to be the lead headline as, of course, will be some of the struggles we saw from the top men's seeds throughout the course of the day. Now, ultimately, guys like Medvedev, Tsitsipas, Hachinov and others were able to advance, but they looked far from their best on day number two. Now, I can explain why there's no reason to hit the panic button for each and every case, and I will do so on today's podcast, but certainly feels like it's worth discussing some of the four set battles we saw the top seeds have to maneuver their way through on day number two. We also had just a wave of five set matches and matches going the distance in general through two days of play. So again, we had 16 men's and women's matches yesterday. We had 28 today, so 16 plus 28, some quick math. We've had 44 matches played thus far. 17 of the 44 have gone three sets on the women's side. 15 of the 44 have gone five sets on the men's side, and perhaps what's most notable is that the seeds keep on surviving their five-set battles. They go 3-0 and yesterday, 4-1 and on day number two. Now, we did see our first men's seed upset in Nicolas Iari, and we can get into all of the excellence of the young Italian Caboli throughout the course of that match on today's show, but... Seven and one feels notable. Maybe it feels like something brewing. Might we have a wave of upsets in number uh, in round number two? Excuse me, as the level of competition continues to increase. It's just a note worth keeping an eye on. So we'll get into that storyline today. Talk about some chaos that's unfolded as predicted in the Samsonova 16th. Then get into some headline results. Two matches I enjoyed particularly so Garcia versus Osaka, Menchik versus Shapovalov. I know a lot of you, the 18-year-old Jakob Menchik, it's a name you keep hearing us discuss on this mini break podcast. I think it's time to legitimately start wondering what is his upside, not just moving forward, but as immediately as 2024. And 
He looked in control against Denis Shapovalov yesterday in a straight set win. So for those of you that haven't heard about the 18-year-old, I know I've talked about him a bunch recently, but we can explore him with further depth on today's show. And then get into the remaining upsets, matches that went the distance, other results you all need to know. Coming off of, again, a 56 singles match day two, of course. As always, I will remind you listeners, if you're looking for daily previews of all the action, we try to post them about 24 hours in advance over on the ground. Great Shot podcast feed, so make sure you're subscribed to that show so you don't miss out on any of our content. My promise to all of you listeners, either tomorrow or Wednesday, these mini-break podcasts are going to be available in video form on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel, so make sure you are subscribed over there. You can come watch my smiling face. You can come see our new CR studio as we talk you through everything going on in Melbourne, of course. As always, a shout-out to your listeners for continuing to tune in day in, day out, and a shout-out to our dear friends at Tennis Point for their support. Tennis-Point.com. The promo code is CR15 for all of the latest and greatest products at the best prices in the tennis world. All right. Let's get into our headlines. Again, I got six of them for you before we run you through the rest of the day's action. Let's start with those upsets on the women's side. Seven of them on the day that brings us to 10 seeds eliminated in total thus far. On day number two, we saw Marketa Vondrosova, Veronika Kudermatova, Ekaterina Alexandrova, Donna Vekic, Anastasia Potapova, Anhelina Kalinina, and I stuttered through that one, but we're going to leave it as B, and Marie Bozhkova, your seventh seeds eliminated. So those are the 7th, 15th, 17th, 21st, 23rd, 24th, and 31st seeds all eliminated. They joined Ludmilla. Samsonova, Magda Lynette, and Wang Xinyu as seeds all suffering round one exits in Melbourne to begin this event. And look, big picture, 30,000 foot view, we haven't lost a top four contender, and those top four contenders are pretty clear. Now, we haven't seen Rabakana play. We haven't seen Sviantec play. Have we seen Rabakana play? I don't think we have. We certainly haven't seen Sviantec play as she gets underway on day number three against Sonia Kennedy, a match I imagine is on just about everyone's must-watch list, a match I certainly previewed with depth over on the Great Shot podcast feed. And again, it's round number one. You would expect not to lose a top contender this early in the event. I do think it's worth noting I had a clear-cut top eight entering the event, Pagula, Ostapenko, Chinwen, Azarenka, the other players on my list. And again, some of them have yet to begin their tournaments, but we've yet to lose any of those top eight contenders. And beyond that, as we discussed in our preview entering uh, of the year's first major, there's a lot of parity, seven through 37 maybe on the WTA tour right now. It just depends who's fit, who's confident, etc. And thus, perhaps that's why we've seen 17 of 44 matches go three sets thus far on the women's side. But, you know, again, let's contextualize these upsets for you listeners. Let's talk about which from highest degree, most to least shocking. It has to start with the Yastrzemska sh- uh, scoreline. One and two, you drop just three games. Yastrzemska, of course, obviously we know what she was capable of when she was playing her best tennis early in her career. And the 23-year-old, hypothetically, still may just be early in her career, but reached a career high of 21 in the rankings by age 19. This is someone who has competed in four different, excuse me, five different tour-level titles, uh, tour-level finals, excuse me, has captured three tour-level titles, although her last tour-level title came all the way back in Strasbourg, May 2019, when she was 18, uh, 19, excuse me, years old. Here's the point more broadly. It's been a while, obviously, since we've seen Diana Yastrzemska have tour-level success. The last time she eclipsed 15 wins at the tour level in a single season all the way back in 2020. And, you know, even against top 50 opponents, it's been a while since we've seen Yastrzemska have consistent success, certainly. She beat Lasia Sarenko in a Birmingham qualifier match. That's a top 50 win, not one we're going to talk about very frequently. She beat Jill Teichman in a 125K quarterfinal. Well, Teichman has fallen outside of the top 100 again. You don't put too much weight on that. She beat Lauren Davis in Dubai qualifying again. Probably the 48th ranked player in the world at that time was Lauren Davis. When's the last time Diana Yastrzemska had a headline victory like this? Dare I say a top 10 victory? You'd have to go all the way back to her win over Barbara Krejcikova in Dubai, February 2022. But remember, Krejcikova uh, was 
coming off of injury or about to sustain injury coming off of that. She beat Sonia Kennan, Doha 2020. That probably feels more notable. Here's the point more broadly. It's been a while since we've seen Diana Yastrzemska compete against someone of this caliber, let alone have success against them, and thus a 1-2 and two scoreline, a scoreline that saw her face just four break points and get broken just once against someone who has been a top 10 returner for the past year on the WTA Tour. That's certainly notable. And again, everything was on Yastrzemska's terms in this match. Certainly the stats from this one reflect that fact. You look at the winner's hit comparison. Diana Yastrzemska, 26 winners in this match. Tavandrosova's five. Now Yastrzemska also had 28 unforced errors, but Vandrosova had 19 throughout the course of this match. Yastrzemska, five of 10 on breakpoint chances. Again, Vandrosova just one of four. Vandrosova winning just 19 of the 46 points she played on serve. Under 50% on serve for the match. Seven double faults. Every ball she hit was floating in the center. Again, it was perfect circumstances for Diana Yastrzemska. To swing freely, to play her power tennis and display her best stuff because Vondrosova was just floating everything into her strike zone for her to do so. And the heavy topspin lefty into that backhand allows Diana Yastrzemska to flatten it out that much more. Credit to Yastrzemska. She executed beautifully. Again, Vondrosova was bad. And it's been a concerning start to her season. Now, she dealt with some injuries, uh, injuries, excuse me, certainly to end last year. But for Marquette of Vondrosova now, a loss to Chin Wen in three sets at United Cup. A loss to Diana Yastrzemska to start this Australian Open, and perhaps more concerningly, she's lost eight of her last ten matches. Albeit, her, some of her losses, keys at the U.S. Open, no shame. Sviantek, Jabur, Goff in Cancun, no shame. Chin Wen, honestly, three-set loss there at United Cup, no shame in that. Even Leila Fernandez, three sets, Billie Jean King Cup, no shame. But you lose those matches in this consecutive of a period, obviously it's going to be tough to sustain a top 10 ranking. A lot of points to defend later throughout the course of her season. No opportunity to make her last big gain, dare I say, at this Australian Open as Diana Yastrzemska knocks her out one and two. Again, Vondrosova just didn't have a good day at the office. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. That said, as I alluded to in my draw preview, opens things up, doesn't it, in that Vondrosova 16th of the draw for someone like an Emma Navarro to put the feather in her cap. She wins her first tour-level title last week. Make your first second week at a major. The draw has opened up for her to do so. Her toughest test might just be her first round battle against Wang Shiyu in week number one. Obviously, we'll see that here on day number three. More broadly, that Ostapenko-Azarenka third round matchup we all have been projecting, that Brisbane rematch, that spicy three-setter from the quarterfinals the first week of the season. You feel like the winner of that is going to be a heavy favorite now to reach the quarterfinal. So again, that's a significant upset. And coming into the draw, I predicted, you know, Ostapenko sixth on my contenders list. I always thought it was going to be her versus Sviantek. So I suppose in that sense, nothing really changes. But the door is now open for Ostapenko as Aranka to make a real run to the second week, get a shot at one of those top four seeds. And certainly, again, if you're Iga Sviantek, uh, you take note, one of the big contenders in your quarter, seventh-seeded Marketa Vandrosova, our first top 10 seed eliminated of the event. Again, your other upsets on the day. How about Victoria Golubic? 7-6-1-6-6-1. She knocks out Veronica Kudermatova. Golubic went down an early break in set number one, able to overcome that. Now back into the top 100, back up to number 75 with this win is the 31-year-old. Kudermatova is just out of sorts. Like again, another player who's gotten off to a weird start to her season. Wins over Kruger, Shmidlova, losses to Potapova in three, Golubic in three, Alexandrova four and four. You know, again, didn't pick on the Golubic backhand with the sort of consistent pace into that corner you would have expected. I think it's because the slice was frustrating her. Like these middle third balls where you kind of have to have that quick footwork, right? Get up to that ball and make a decisive choice. I'm either following it forward or I'm playing something defensive. You know, that gear, there's some indecision there from Kudermatova throughout the course of that match. And then the unforced errors just began to pile up, certainly, uh, as you approach set number three. You look at the stats overall in this match. I mean, again, credit to uh, Veronica Golubic. Uh, sort of allowed Kudermatova, dare I say, to implode down the stretch. In terms of unforced errors uh, in this match, you look overall, Golubic uh, ultimately hitting what? I'm looking for the uh, the number here. I see unforced errors, 35, Kudermatova 
55. Yeah, that was the number. 55 unforced errors in a three-set match is honestly impressive stuff. You want to go set number three specifically for Veronica Kudermatova. Uh, again, things weren't exactly pretty. 18 unforced errors in set number three. That's not going to get the job done. Ultimately, Victoria Golubic able to advance. And look, I mean, again, Kudermatova was the 15th seed. In some sense, that opens up her portion of the draw. That said, Alina Svitolina, who looked very, very good after going down a couple of breaks, 2-1 early uh, in that opening set, then cruises to a 2-2 two two victory. I think she did indeed win 11 of the last 12 game, uh, 11 of the last 14 games. Like She was always the favorite with the level she's played, not just a couple weeks ago in Auckland, but certainly to end last season. I thought she was always going to be the favorite over Kudermatova. So again, big picture sense. I'm not sure how much this upset impacts my perception of the draw more broadly moving forward. But obviously in the immediate future, things certainly open up for Svitolina as she continues to make her push towards the top 15, top 10 once again. Brutal loss for Katarina Alexandrova. That's the one that probably hurts the most on this list as ECAT was right there. Again, she had the early lead in the third set super breaker. Ultimately, it was Laura Siegemund able to advance Siegemund 6-2, over the uh over the 17th seed, excuse me, 11-9 in that third set breaker. Sigmund was brave. She was bold. I mean, again, not a lot separating these two throughout the course of the match. It was a few down-the-line return winners here, a few floated second serves there. I think more than anything for Alexandrova, it's the fact that she had to hit so many more second serves in this match than Sigmund. Sigmund landing 78% of her first serve points, and even when she didn't have the most uh, – landing 78% of her first serves, excuse me, and even though she didn't have the most success there, you look at the difference on the second serve point. Siegemann, 9 of 23. That's not great. Alexandrova, 13 of 38. Again, that's a 15-point delta in a match that was decided 11-9 in the third set. I know that's very mathematical for all of you listeners. It doesn't sound like I'm analyzing the tennis that much, but what that stat conveys is very much what I saw. Siegemann had more opportunities to be bold with the return of serve. Take a big cut down the line, cross, just pressure Alexandrova right out of the gates. And that's what you had to do. I thought Alexandrova was certainly the more dynamic player. She landed more passing shots successfully in this match. But Siegemann had more opportunities to be the aggressor. And she capitalized with that in the third set breaker. Again, this was a fun match. Alexandrova was playing well enough to advance. But Laura Siegemann, I, I said it at the time. You get a boost mentally when you clinch a United Cup title in a team event, even if it's in mixed doubles, not a direct tie to the singles court. You just get a boost mentally to come through in a third set breaker the way her and Zverev did. And uh, was it a third set breaker or just straight sets in mixed? I think it was a third set breaker. Either way, to just come through in the fashion that she did. It's a massive win for Siegemund, who, with the wind, uh, currently sitting at 85 in the rankings. But she had fallen down to 92 at the start of this tournament. And again, that that's thus a big result. By the way, the Carolina Pliskova update, because the live rankings have updated and dropped off the Australian Open points, following uh, or entering her first round match against Rabakina, which is tonight, night number three, that has now boosted my memory. She's 72 in the rankings. Carolina Pliskova, former world number one, 72 in the rankings. That's a number I'm going to have to get accustomed to seeing. And yeah, I mean, again, there was some serious movement in the rankings. Magda Lynette, for what it's worth, she's fallen down to 50, down 26 spots. Uh, Victoria Azarenka down 14 spots with the quarterfinals coming off of her resume to 36. Um, Rabakina is down two spots from three to five with the finals coming off of her resume. But obviously, a lot of people would feel pretty confident that she's going to have a opportunity to gain a bunch of those spots back. Yeah, it's really uh it's really Lynette and Pliskova who were the big two biggest movers and had so much of their points tied into this opening event. By the way, Linda Fruvertova, another one as well. She's down forty spots to one twenty four after her first round exit, which we'll talk about. Really fun three set match with Haddad Maya, but down forty spots after that loss. Katie Valley, that's down nineteen spots. They're at 
124 for Linda Fruvertova, 122 for Valinets, respectively. Anyways, apologies. You listeners know that'll happen from time to time where I get distracted when I find something interesting in the rankings that I wasn't expecting. Anyways, that's a big win for Victoria Golubic as she tries to consolidate her top 100 position. Uh, what has to be the back half, certainly, of the 31-year-old's career. The other upsets we can get to a little bit more quickly. Pavlochenko was just straight up better than Vekic. It Honestly, and if you put the 21 seed next to Pavlochenkova's name to start this event, I'd have no problems with it. Like She looked really good uh, in her warm-up event uh, where she earned victories. I'm blanking over whom they were against. She earned victories over both Sinyakova, Haddad, Maya uh, after coming through qualifying. Played a really fun three-set match with Pagula as well in Adelaide last week. Now a 4-4 four four win over Donna Vekic. She fought off six of the eight break points that she faced, and she was just the one dictating. It felt like Vekic was the one stretched to the outer third far more frequently, and even when Vekic did open up a break opportunity, excuse me, early in the second, it was Pavlochenkova who was able to fight her way back. Pavlochenkova who was just able to generate power more easily whenever she got her racket on the ball and do the dictating in this match. And this was a quarter I always said, this Samsonova 16th, I guess we'll get to that storyline in a second, but certainly opens up with now both seeds, Vekic, Samsonova being eliminated. We'll talk about that in a moment. Your other upsets, Kaya Yuvan just knocking out an out of sorts, Anastasia Potapova, one and four victory for Yuvan. You guys know I've always had a little bit of Kaya Yuvan stock, and with this win now, Yuvan uh, currently sitting at 103 in the live rankings, knocking on the door of getting back in the top 100. The 23-year-old, She's just good. Like, is she great at anything? No. I don't know what the elite trait is for her moving forward. She's a solid mover, can absorb pace well in the backhand, can dish it out well in the forehand wing. Sort of floats a little bit, but she can hit her spots well and can amp up the pace when the opportunity presents itself for her when she wants to swing a little bit more aggressively. I mean, this match was about Potapova. Potapova was bad, especially in set number one. She just came out out of sorts. And you look at the unforced error count from this match, again, not a positive reflection of the tennis, or I suppose an indicative reflection of the tennis Potapova was playing. 10 winners against 34 unforced errors. She won 29% of her second serve point, 7 of 24 with six double faults on the day. It was sloppy. And then she tried to fight a little bit, tried to get physical, tried to extend points, extend rallies. That's when you got to see the uh, the aggression, the offense Yvonne is capable of playing. But it just wasn't enough for Potapova at any moment. Like, it was just too sloppy from start to finish in that match. And so, again, Kaya Yvonne is through knocking out the seed. Up next for Yvonne, she'll face qualifier Anastasia Zakharova and be favored. 83.9% by Tennis Abstract to reach the next round. She does that. She'll be back up into the top 100, and that's a good place to be to start any season uh, as you try to set your schedule. Oranxarus 1-0 over Angelina Kalanina. That was a tough draw for Kalanina. You look for Oranxarus right now. Uh, she's currently sitting, I believe, and I, I don't want to get this incorrect, but with her win, yeah, new career high, 39 for the 33-year-old. So talk about an either-or match. I mean, Roos dominated. Like Her forehand was just by far the biggest weapon. No competition in that one. 1-0 one no victory. She's through to round number two, certainly again. Somewhat opens up the draw, though. How much faith did you have in Angelina Kalanina as a seed, perhaps, um, starting uh, at the start, excuse me, of this event? Probably not much. Still, you look now for Aranxa Roos. She's got a matchup with Anna Kalinskaya. A big opportunity for both players, particularly given, again, the seed in that section is 14th seeded Daria Kaskina, who will certainly test you physically, but give you some opportunities to swing freely as well. So that Kaskina 16th remains fascinating, particularly as Kalanina uh, knocked out in round number one. And then last, but certainly not least, one could argue I've even saved the best women's upset for last. Linda Noskova does what I've always expected of her. Earn a big victory over a top-ranked player. It feels like win, not if, for the 19-year-old who's up to a new career high. 46 in the live rankings with her win. Pretty decisive in a 6-1-7-5 victory over Marie Bozhkova. Noskova was up a break multiple times in that second set before ultimately closing things out at the business end with that uh, 4-6-5 and then holding for 7-5. I mean, she dictated decisively. She capitalized on every floating serve she was offered from Bozhkova throughout the course of that match. And again, you just look at the winner count in this one. Naskova 
35 winners to Boshkova's 16. Only 31 unforced errors as well to Boshkova's 19. She went 72% of her first serve points, converted four of her seven breakpoint chances and fought off eight of the nine that she faced. So again, she was up a break early in the third before seeding that, uh, early in the second, excuse me, before seeding that break back. She just has the firepower advantage against the majority of players that she faces. And what was so inspiring, dare I say, about this win moving forward for her is that she passed the physical test of a Marie Boshkova as well. Dare I say that litmus test of, okay, you think you're a top 35 player? You think you should be seated at the seeds moving forward? You better be consistent enough with your weapons. You better be athletic enough, physical enough to pass the test that is Marie Boshkova, as I assumed her mindset for a moment. And Naskova does, one in five, even when things got a little shaky down the home stretch of set number two. I mean, again, her ceiling is capped. The third-round opponent would potentially be Iga Sviantek. I don't think Naskova has the fluidity in and out of the outer thirds yet to deal with the heaviness of the ball Sviantek would throw at her, but it's a really good win for Naskova to start her season, consolidate a top-50 position coming out of the first month of the year. And again, seven upsets in on day two. Round one matches in the women's singles draw. Seventh-seeded Vandrosova, 15th-seeded Kudermatova, 17th-seeded Alexandrova, 21st-seeded Donna Vekic, 23rd-seeded Anastasia Potapova, 24th-seeded Angelina Kalinina, and 31st-seeded Maria Bozhkova, joining 13th-seeded Samsonova, 20th-seeded Lynette, and 30th-seeded Wang Xinyu. With early exits, 10 seeds out so far, It's only round one. Again, what else might unfold here in week number one? We look forward to finding out. I am looking forward, though, to moving on to headline number two, which I want to do now. That headline, of course, involving the top-seeded men. All of them passing their opening round tests, but... None of them exactly passed with flying colors, and that starts obviously with Daniil Medvedev, who 5-4 up, serving for the opening set, gets broken at main helds, then breaks again. Ultimately, uh, it is Daniil Medvedev dropping his opening set 7-5 on his way to a 5-7-6-2-6-4 one-love retirement victory over the Frenchman. Look, here's why I'm not hitting the panic button at all coming off of this Daniil Medvedev match. He served for the opening set, then played a typical sloppy Medvedev game, a drop shot miss mixed in and just very passive. I mean, credit to his lefty opponent who just was relentless and continuing to attack, continuing to pressure Medvedev's court position. Clearly, he made the choice. I'd rather go down swinging and missing because I know I'm not going to outgrind you, hit his spots well on serve. But after winning that first set, uh, losing that first set, Medvedev woke up. 6-2, second set, never in doubt. 6-4, second set, never in doubt. And unfortunately, again, Atmain kind of ran out of juice there, started cramping, unable to finish that match in set number four. But I had no doubt which direction it was going. Atmain wasn't going to be able to sustain that level uh, facing down the barrage of the relentless consistency, the big first serves, the third-seeded Russian throws at you. So I'm not hitting the panic button at all. Again, you drop sets on your way to ladder rounds. That happens in a best-of-five format. Medvedev at least can say, I served for that opening set as well. Ultimately, though, four-set victory, not hitting the panic button for him, not hitting it for Tsitsipas either. I actually thought Tsitsipas played pretty well last night in a 5-7-6-1-6-1-6-3 victory over lucky loser Zizou Bergs. Bergs replacing Matteo Berrettini, who unfortunately had to pull out of this event before it began with injury. Tough break for Berrettini. It feels like, again, after that magical 2021 season, everything's just kind of broken against him subsequently, whether it's testing positive for COVID in a big moment, whether it's, you know, again, the various injuries he's dealt with. I was going to point to a specific example, but there's so many different you can choose. Anyways, that's a disappointment for him. Obviously, a big opportunity for Zizou Bergs, who's played some really good ball at the challenger level of late and can play some real offense, right? His serve, his forehand, when he tries to mix in the drop shot, that's when he got into trouble with someone as physically sound and quick as Tsitsipas moving from the baseline, uh, that first step moving forward, that vertical or dare I say, as opposed to the lateral roll, the vertical movement for Tsitsipas, his first step has never been in question. He's always been a powerful mover. It's sometimes, I think he's not quite, well, he actually is more fluid than you'd think, uh, but not as fluid as perhaps some of his peers. Anyways, it, 
Zizou put some real pressure on him in set number one. You saw that with his first serve, how freely he was swinging on the forehand. The problem was his first serve kind of abandoned him throughout the course of this match. And ultimately, Zizou Berg's only able to make 50% of his first serves. Now, Tsitsipas was only at a 57% clip, but Tsitsipas was just a little bit more comfortable dictating with his forehand from any position or at any point of the rally. And look again, to Zizou Berg's credit, he went down swinging. 52 winners in this match against just 44 unforced errors. Tsitsipas a little cleaner, 38-28 ratio. I mean, again, Zizou gave him a lot of free points, deciding, hey, I'd rather go down swinging. I know I have to try to find ways to pressure you. He's not a grinder by nature anyways, so trying to grind through that backhand was never going to be the the game plan. It was try to overpower it, and to some extent, he did have success at times, but just wasn't consistent enough to face down the barrage of Stefano Tsitsipas, who, again, I thought moved pretty well, protected his serve well, and given how few matches he had coming into this event, I think that's a good round one opening performance for Tsitsipas to advance. Again, through in four sets is the number seven seed for what it's worth. Up next for Medvedev, a real test in Emil Rusevori. Up next for Tsitsipas, Australian Jordan Thompson, who beat a guy by the name of Rafael Nadal already this season. And even though he's coming off of a five-set win against Alex Vukic, certainly uh that's when you feel like the crowd's going to get engaged with. That one could get spicy when they ultimately do uh, play out their second round affair. Anyways, other seeds tested in four sets on the day. How about Alex Diemenauer dropping that opening set? How refreshing was it to have the big serving, all-out aggressive game style of Milos Raonic back in our lives? Unfortunately, Raonic forced to retire down to love in the third uh, with injury. And obviously, that's been the story for the last half decade for the former Wimbledon finalist. But those weapons, again, they gave Damon, Demon Hour a real test. It just speaks to when Raonic is on his front foot, when he's healthy, when he can take big cuts at his first forehand, he can still dictate with the best of the best. The problem was obviously physically Diemenauer able to further extend points the longer that match progressed. The moment Rayanich lost any sort of calibration with that plus one forehand, it felt like the points was, point was Diemenauer's good way to grind through what is always a tough matchup for Demon uh, in his round one affair. For Karen Hatchnoff, talk about a tough draw. You draw Daniel Altmaier as your first round opponent, and Altmaier who was playing so well before getting injured last week in Auckland. Ultimately, Hatchinov able to grind his way to a 5-7-6-3-7-6-7-6 victory. He was just so smart with his aggression, targeting uh, not just the backhand with the heaviness of his forehand, but mixing up his spots so well where he chose to hit his plus one ball. I thought he hit both corners with success as this match progressed. I thought he served pretty well in this match. He seems to be moving well. And again, before Hatchinov was injured last year, he was a top eight player, very much in the conversation to be a guy at the ATP Tour Finals after he made semis of the Australian Open and quarters of the French to start his year. He's always good at the majors, always good. I think he's made third round or further at it's something like 16 of the last 21 majors that he's played. It's a guy who holds seed. It's a guy who beats who he's supposed to beat over the course of time because, again, he's pr- you're going to get maybe one bad Hatchinoff service game out of every five or six. But he's pretty – other than that, you pretty, you know what you're going to get out of him physically when healthy. And, again, you, you know what game style you're going to get, how relentless he's going to be with his forehand. So good win against the shot-making of Altmaier, who certainly at times could match the plus-one plus one prowess of Hatchinov. Just couldn't find ways to consistently – or I guess, again, lost a couple of breakers. It's really as simple as that. So four-set win for Hatchinov. Good win for a guy still, dare I say, working – his way back uh, into match shape. And then Ugo Umber, four-set win over David Goffin. Looked like Umber got a little wary physical. And again, an injury knocked him out of his first event of the season. But his weapons were just too much. He was always on the offensive. It was how much counterpunching could David Goffin do. And I'll tell you what, for three hours, he did a successful amount of counterpunching. Had a look in set number two. Umber's weapons just ultimately overwhelming the veteran. So Umber threw in four sets. You also had a four set win from Lorenzo Musetti. He played a high level of tennis. Benjamin Bonzi was just swinging freely, but Musetti's moving well. He uses his speed so successfully to get from baseline to forehand and beat you to the spot with an angle. He also was down a break, 5-6, I believe, in that second set before ultimately breaking back to force the breaker, takes that breaker, 7-6. Again, so critical.
Physical in these best of five set matches to get the two sets to love lead. Again, you had what? One, two, three, four, five seeds earn four set victories on the day. Uh, obviously, that's not including the three seeds who earned five set victories on the day, who we'll talk about a little bit later. But these seeds are getting tested. We got some parity on the men's side to start the year. Still, ultimately, again, all, all but one seed has passed the test thus far, even if pushed to as much as five sets. Top men's seeds struggle, but they survive. That's one of our storylines on day number two, or I should say headlines. Headline number three are those aforementioned five-set matches. They just keep coming on the men's side, whether it's uh, Adrian Manorino, five sets over Stan Wawrinka, who at times was beating Manorino to the spot, but just he had nothing left in the gas tank physically in that fifth set. And Manorino is so relentless, so patient with his consistency, opening up angle inch by inch by inch in every rally that he plays and then snapping you down the line or snapping one cross court to beat you to the spot. Again, he played top 20 tennis and physically wearing down a dangerous and always big-hitting opponent in Stan Wawrinka. That's a good win for the 20 seed to kick off his year. Obviously, has so many points to defend back half of the season. Has a lot to work with. Can continue to push towards the top 20 here to start his year. Jan Leonard Struff survives as well. Another guy who's going to have some serious points coming off of his resume in a couple of months, but still has two months to work with. He gets a 7-6 third set victory over former UNC All-American Australia's own Rinky Hijikata. When Hijikata won that first set, that crowd got real excited. And when he forced that fifth, hit an on-the-run winner to, you know, Get one of the mini breaks back, dare I say, in that fifth set breaker. It felt like, oh my God, is Rinky going to do this? But credit to Jan Leonard Struff. Kept swinging big, stayed aggressive, even when the errors came, and there were plenty of them in this match. Gets a much-needed first-round win as he again tries to consolidate his ranking before all those points come off his resume. Struff, 7-6 in the fifth. He knocks out the dangerous Hijikata. You also had Sebi Korda avoid disaster. He goes up two sets to uh, love on Vit Capriva. Goes down a break in the third, throws that set away because in his mind, and I think rightly so, he thought, you know what, my weapons with how risky this guy's forehand is, yeah, he moves well, but this match should be on my terms. And look again, 6-1-6-4-2-6-4 all it felt like it was on Corda's terms. But then Capriva holds 4-5-4 and Corda plays a nervy nervy 4-5 service game. And then all of a sudden, we're in the fifth set. And you could see the disappointment on Seb Korda's face as he goes down an early break to love in that fifth. How did he respond? Wins the final six games of the match. Gets back to being aggressive, back to being himself. You could see how much this one meant to him and the roar he let out after getting over the finish line. Far from his best tennis. Scrappy stuff from Capriva. Sebi Korda had no business losing that match. And it's, again, it would have been a very disappointing Australia for a guy who's defending quarterfinal points here this week. I mentioned the rankings drop off on the women's side. Sebi Korda down nine spots to 35. And just quickly to look through your biggest movers, Lachetchka down 10 spots from 23 to 33. But that he's still 33 in the world despite losing quarterfinal points. Good spot for maybe the most underrated young player we have in men's tennis right now. We don't have. Too many drastic 40 spot movers like we did on the women's side. But J.J. Wolf down 18 spots after those fourth round points come off his resume. First round loss to Baez. He's down to 75 in the world. Nishioka down 19 spots to 80. Uh, Kovacevic, Kaboli on the plus side up 20 and 18 spots respectively to 81, 82. New career highs. And we'll talk about Kova entering the top 100 in a little bit. RBA down 26 spots to 98. Capriva up 20 spots to 112. Uh, again, like Jasper DeJong up 23 spots to 138. You don't have too many dramatic tumbles on the men's side. Certainly some big risers for us to take note of as we continue our coverage. But again, talk about a much-needed five-set win for Sebi Korda to keep him in the top 40 moving forward. And given how injured he was after January last year, he's going to have six months to build his resume right back up, get back into the top 25. Starts here. Good victory in round number one over Capriva. Last but certainly not least, of course, was the nightcap. 
How about Felix? 6-3 in the third over a Dominic team who played a high level of tennis. Again, this was a fun one. 6-3-7-5-6-7-5-7-6-3 certainly should be on your list of matches, not just to watch the three-minute highlight package from. Go back and watch the eight-minute uh, highlight. Or if you pick one match to go back and rewatch every day, maybe make, make this your men's match now. Felix only made 58% of his first serve, 16 aces, 10 double faults in the match. He had 54 winners in this one against 53 unforced errors. That's a really good ratio considering the pressure he was under against Dominic Team, considering how important it was to get to the plus one forehand first, to be the aggressor in each and every rally played. Dare I say that's precisely what Felix was. Again, I was extraordinarily impressed with the steadiness of the Canadian, who I do think has refound his base level, not his peak level from the end of 2022. I think he's refound that base level, though, a guy who's sitting at 30th in the live rankings right now. Obviously, we know with his serve, his forehand, when he's at his most confident, when he's moving his best, how dominant those weapons can be. Team pushed him. And that was about as well as I've seen Dominic Team play in a best-of-five-set match in quite some time. This felt like an old-school, late-night, fourth-round battle between two guys, obviously, who we've seen make at least that late of a stage here at the Australian Open. And yet again, for Felix to go up two sets to love, not lose his lead despite being pushed to a fifth and seeing Team really raise his level— you could see the relief, again, in Felix's face as he got over the finish line. Five-set win for the Canadian as he advances to round number two. And look, I mean, again, if those weren't enough, you got five more five-set matches on the day, whether it was Jordan Thompson knocking out Alex Vukic, 6-4 in the third. Who go? And by the way, that was a great grind between two guys who would much rather hit forehands than backhands. A lot of tennis chameleon, Spider-Man meme aspects to that match where they look at one another and both go, hey, I know we're both Aussie, but like, why do we both play like this? We, we, where our backhands don't suck. Anyway, Thompson just held his nerve a little bit better. Vukic missing an overhead on match point, serving 4-5, 30-40. Otherwise, that was an either-or match. Tough loss for Vuki. Great win for Thompson. Hugo Grenier cramping down the home stretch. Had no business coming back, but ultimately does. 2-6-7-6-4-6-6-4-7-6 win over the Frenchman Alexander Muller. Speaking of Frenchman, how about Luca Van Asche grinding his way to a 6-7-6-3-3-6-6-3-6-3 victory over James Duckworth. He ends it in typical Van Asche fashion, a highlight reel on the run passing shot after he had missed one on the first match point. Guy's a stellar athlete, as fluid as they come in and out of the outer thirds. He moves around the court with that youthful exuberance. If I can still track down anything, I don't know better. I why would I waste? Uh, why would I store my energy or consolidate or any of the words, adjectives you want to choose or verbs? His energy when I have a plethora of energy to hand out. He's exciting to watch. Again, uh, I enjoy the counterpunching nature of Van Asha, even if I'm still not quite sure what the Frenchman's ceiling is. Good victory for him to kick off his 2024 slam campaign. And then, shout out to our guy, Alexander Kovacevic, former Illinois All-American, who has had some serious challenger success. He's made a semifinal at the tour level. He's flirted with top 100 for so long now. That flirtation is over. He's made it. He's up to, as I alluded to, 81 in the live rankings. New career high following qualifying into this event and now earning this first-round victory over last week's Auckland champion Alejandro Tabilo. A lot of plus-one tennis in this one. And it was the discipline, both mentally and physically, of Alexander Kovacevic, who in his head has mental, uh, you know, has pictured this day for so long, has trained as if he is going to play best of five set matches at each and every slam throughout the course of the year. You could see that visualization benefiting itself down the home stretch of sets four or five, where he was just relentless with his aggression. He never blinked. I like to think that's college tennis toughness as well. His serve forehand, not only technically are they so beautiful, they fly off the racket. Now, is it top 20 sort of weaponry. I'm not there yet. I think the backhand has certainly gotten better. I think he's grown leaps and bounds as a mover, but I wouldn't accuse him of being an elite athlete, though I wouldn't call him a Fritz-level mover either. Probably a half tier ahead of Fritz and J.J. Wolf in terms of a mover, but certainly nowhere near the Tiafo Tommy Paul category. Probably like a, a Sebastian Corda, where it's he's not a bad mover, but he doesn't blow you off the screen with his quickness. Very efficient with his footwork is Alexander Kovacevic, which I say as a compliment. Anyways, 
big win for the former Illini All-American into the top 100. Tough loss for Tabilo, given all the momentum he gained last week. But hey, first ATP Tour title, you'll take the points. You'll worry about the slam success later, since you're certainly going to have three more opportunities at the Apple this year. Then last but not least, again, we had an upset on the men's side. Uh, Our other five-set result on the day. And just, I guess, to knock that out of the way quickly, how about the level in tennis in our five-set match, ultimately Nicolas Yari knocked out by Flavio Caboli. Six, uh, excuse me, ultimately knocked out. I want to get the exact score line for you here. Six four three six six three two six seven five. It's our first and only upset through two days of play. Forty-four matches on the men's side. I mean, Nicolas Yari served for the match, up five-four in the third. A couple of uncharacteristic plus-one forehand errors in consecutive points. Uh, putting him behind the eight ball. But look, I mean, Flavio Caboli, as we saw at the next-gen finals to end last season, can just scoot around the court. Like, the 21-year-old has top 100 athleticism, the fluidity in and out of the outer third, the ability to snap a ball by you when you least expect it. Comes through qualifying, now a top uh, five-set win over a top 20 player in the world. You look for Flavio Caboli in his career. I believe it is his first tour-level victory against a top-20 opponent. This is a guy who earns his first tour-level victory over a top-50 opponent with his win over Iari as well. Now 1-7 against the top-50 in his career. And in terms of success at the slams in Caboli's career, it's his first major main draw victory. You could see it on his face for the 21-year-old. Again, gets him into the top 85 and the athleticism, the contrast in style. And yet, Caboli's ability to, again, generate pace on his own because he is that sort of athlete and can do it even if he's not the most comfortable doing it. This was a really fun match. Yari's also moving well. He is fluid. He is fit. I think he's dropped some weight in order to get a little bit quicker and doesn't see his power compromised in any sort of sense. That was a really fun three-minute highlight package that made me go watch the eight-minute highlight package because, again, that's how intriguing the contrast in speed versus power was in that one still. Ultimately, it is uh, Flavio Caboli pulling off the upset of the number 18 seed, advancing to round number two. And again, you look at that section of the draw now. Still runs through Demon Hour, but Kaboli, Katov, two guys who have been rising into the top 100 in the last six months. Excellent opportunity for both to consolidate their positions, make a third round at a major. Again, Rublev survived in five sets. Otherwise, this section of the draw could have gotten. Rublev and Korda both survived in five sets, and Demon Hour was down a set to Rayonich. So this section could have gotten really funky had these two first two days broken slightly differently. But again, all the credit in the world uh, to... I'm blanking. All the credit in the world to Flavio Caboli. There it is. Leave that pause in, Westoff. That'll happen from time to time. Pick it up, Alex. It's day two. The hours are reared. I'm adjusting to being nocturnal, folks. Stick with me. As again, that's headline number three. These last three headlines going to go through a little bit more quickly. Chaos in the Samsonova 16th. As I alluded to before the tournament began, I thought this section was always going to get funky because certainly of the two seeds in any section, you maybe felt least confident in Ludmilla Samsonova and Donna Vekic as a pairing uh, for a group. And again, Samsonova knocked out straight sets round one by the big hitting Anisimova. Vekic knocked out straight sets round number one by the big hitting Pavlichenkova. One of the four of Anisimova, Podoroska, Badosa, and Pavlachenkova, one of those four is getting to week number two. That's fascinating for a bunch of different reasons. Obviously, it's been a long time since we've seen Nadia Podoroska as a top 50 player. She's dealt with a lot of injuries over the last few years, although she is someone who's made a semifinal of a major before, albeit at the French Open. But you could say that about Anisimova, even though her power tennis clearly translates a little bit more clearly to hard court still. Paula Bedosa looked excellent in a straight set victory over Taylor Townsend today. I thought, again, Pavlachenkova, as I alluded to earlier, she also played really well in round one for Anisimova to get that victory mentally over Samsonova, just always a dangerous big hitter, and she'll have opportunities to do exactly that against Podoroska. And then Podoroska lost like two games. It was either one or two games in her first round matchup against Zidanzik. So 
All players seeming to be playing their best tennis once again after various reasons have prevented them from doing so of late. It is a fascinating, fascinating section of the draw. And by the way, whomever emerges from that 16th, their fourth round matchup, probably going to be with Arena Sabalenka. So how's that a gift for you? Welcome back to week two of a major. We're going to deal you the reigning Australian Open champ, most likely still. Chaos in the Samsonova 16th, something that certainly sticks out in my mind as one of the headlines that, dare I say, we anticipated. Guarantees an unseated player makes the round of 16, something we projected in our draw preview uh, before this tournament began. Headline number five uh, and, and six, both two matches just to bring to all of your attention. How about Caroline Garcia? That was a comprehensive four and six victory over Naomi Osaka, a match that, by the way, saw what? I think overall in the match, one break of serve in set number one. Yeah, that was it from Caroline Garcia. I had to double check to make sure they didn't trade any breaks in set number two. They did not. One break of serve. It was plus one tennis at its finest. Garcia 34 to Osaka's 20. Osaka also 25 unforced errors to Garcia's 24. Caroline Garcia was just a little bit better at being the aggressor within return points and connecting on the return of serve and pressuring Osaka in a way that compromised Osaka's positioning and generated a mini break or Perhaps on the other side of things, Osaka is still just not quite where she needs to be from a movement perspective to get back to playing her elite, dare I say, untouchable level of power tennis. Especially, you could tell Garcia kind of noted it as well. When you hit the ball behind Naomi Osaka, that's when life gets a little bit more difficult for her still. Shifting directions, which she's never been the best at, but it's noticeable that it's a little bit of a struggle for her right now. North-South, or her anticipation when she's in stride, she's moving fine. She's striking the ball beautifully. When she's playing plus one tennis, again, she looks like Naomi freaking Osaka when she can keep that ball in front of her. But Garcia was able to get the ball behind her, by her, all different directions, able to generate a few more aggressive opportunities for herself on her own uh, return of serve and protected her serve as well. So again, a successful Tough test passed uh, by Caroline Garcia advancing to round number two in a date with Magdalena Freak, uh, who I believe was one of our three set winners on the day on the women's side. We'll talk about in the moment. Last but not least in terms of solo match coverage, how about Jakob Menchik, the 18-year-old third round of the U.S. Open kind of caught off all, caught us all by off guard. He ain't doing that anymore. After making a challenger final to start his season, the 18-year-old up to a new career high, 124 as a result of his straight set round one victory over Denis Shapovalov. The qualifier was a clean match on serve, unbroken on the day. Menchik fighting off all nine uh, break points that he faced. You look for Jakob Menchik, he made 60% of his first serves, won 82% of those points, 12 aces, 31 winners against just 22 unforced errors. Again, it was erratic out of Denis Shapovalov, 28 winners against 50 unforced errors for the Canadian. He made just 57% of his first serve, seven double faults, won just 41% of his second serve points to Menchik, 68. Had no response to the plus one weaponry. Jakob Menchik asserts in every match that he plays, and that's the real thing about the 18-year-old moving forward is just... First of all, the serve is special. He's got one of those shoulders, and he's so decisive in getting his body weight forward into the ball and being the aggressor, moving behind those balls and putting pressure on you at the net with every plus-one decision that he makes. And Shapovalov just had no answers. And look, it's a massive season for Denis Shapovalov, just regaining his confidence, refinding not just his ceiling, but his floor as a player, which has always been a struggle because even in the best of times, Shapovalov has been erratic. And yet just finding a base floor, a top 50, maybe even top 100 floor, like go have some success at the challenger level. Just go play a thousand matches where you're not going to put all of this pressure on yourself, although maybe you will if you have to go back to the challenger level. I say back for Denis Shapovalov because he's been playing in the highest level matches with the biggest pageantry for so long, but he was out of answers. He was out of rhythm. He was clearly the lesser player in this battle, despite the experience dealt to like Menchik looked like he belonged at this Australian Open with his weapons. Shapovalov looked like an erratic, though powerful and talented player. Again, if you told me Shapovalov was the 18-year-old, Menchik was the 23 or 4, whatever Shapo is now, I would have believed you. I still like... 
I still need to see Jakub Menchik pushed further because of how erratic and consistent Shapovalov was throughout the course of this match. I need to see someone who's going to force Jakub Menchik to play consistent defense, not just off of a plus one ball, but... You know, again, who's going to be able to absorb the plus one blow of Jakub Menchik? Who's going to be able to force him to stay on the baseline a little bit longer in service games? I still haven't seen that test from Menchik against the top 50 opponent, despite all the success he has had of late. And, you know, again, when Taylor Fritz was the one to test him in that third round, Menchik, even though he has the big serve as the weapon, his technique kind of broke down when pressured by similar pace. So, again... Two guys who are who we're going to be talking about a lot here in 2024. Denis Shapovalov, it might just be a make-or-break year for him. Certainly, Jakub Menchik, 18 years old, it feels like the only way he can go is up at this point moving forward when not if for a top 100 debut. But wanted to offer some thoughts on him, Garcia specifically, as my final headlines. That said, the other matches to go the distance on the day, I know I mentioned them on the men's side. On the women's side, you had nine different three-set matches. Beatrice Haddad-Maya survived against Linda Fruvertova, 6-2-3-6-6-2. Obviously a ton of points now off the record of the 18-year-old Fruvertova, but I'll tell you what, her ability to absorb Haddad Maya's forehand pace with her backhand wing was just a reminder of how special is uh, special she is off of that wing, how well she competes. You know, again, I do think she has gotten quicker, more fluid in the outer thirds, even if she's still not an elite mover. The second serve of the forehand hang up when pressured by pace when she has time to whip her forehand, though she can certainly turn into that shot. For Haddad Maya, it feels like she doesn't wake up until she's lost a set within the course of her match and ultimately steadied that ship in set number two. The return winner sort of punctuating the power advantage she had, uh, the ability to create uh, the the return winner on match point, punctuating that fact. But Fruvertova tested her. Ultimately, it's a good test for Haddad Maya to overcome advance to uh, round number two. Similar for Marta Kostyuk, 6-1 in the third. She knocks out the free swing in Claire Lou. Kostyuk played really well in set number three there. Again, I think she is really dangerous entering this 2024 season. Tatiana Maria, 6-4 in the third over uh, Kami Osorio. We don't talk enough about just how frequently uh, how unique the Maria game is in today's tennis. Slice off both wings. Dare I say 60% of total ground strokes are slices in Tatiana Maria's game, and yet she's comfortable moving forward, comfortable hitting the overhead, as fit as any player we have in women's tennis. Heck of a win for the 35-year-old to advance to round number two as she looks to, again, make another top 50 push. Good win for Magdalena Freak, just a little bit more aggressive and a little bit better at absorbing pace, dare I say, down the home stretch against Daria Seville. She breaks Seville 7-5 in the third in that match. How about McCartney Kessler? I didn't know the former Florida All-American had the sort of backhand pace in her that she displayed yesterday. She was smacking winners against Fiona Farrow. It was worth noting. The former Florida Gator has already made a slow but steady rise up the WTA rankings with her win in round number one. She's up 31 spots. New career high to 175 for the 24-year-old. She's been on tour now for about 12 months. Like, that's it. Maybe not even. What? Maybe six months because she left school May 2023. Six months. She's already top 200 in the world. And I'm telling you, I didn't know she had that level of pace when she was in college. Those were real top 100 weapons. I've always known the sort of athlete she is, but that one caught my attention yesterday. Three-set win, first win for Kessler at a major in her career over Fiona Farrow. Zakharova, three sets over Putin Seva. That match looked exactly as you'd expect. Kalinskaya, just too much firepower. Despite the relentless competitive nature of Katie Volley, that's Kalinskaya 6-2 in the third there. And then, as I alluded to again, the Gulovic upset of Kuder Matova, Siegman over Alexandrova, both three set matches as well. We've had 17 of 44 matches on the women's side go the distance. Again, 15 on the men's side go the distance. And seeds 7-1 in five set matches so far uh, through two days of play in the Australian Open men's singles draw. To run you through the rest of the results of the day, uh, it's like the fifth straight match. Coco Goff's first 20 minutes have been interesting. Then everything else wasn't. Goff three in love over Shmidlova. Pulled away there. Looked the part of top four seed. Ange Jabur was dealt a good hand because startup save is more of a grinder. And she gave Ange Jabur the one thing you can't give on. She gave her time. And 
Jabur slowly but surely found her rhythm, pulled away from there. That's a three and one good win uh, for the number six seed. Is again probably the quietest of the top ten seeds. She hasn't played yet this year, so we haven't seen her. She might be my biggest omission from my top eight contenders list, just because Alex Jabur always she always finds herself getting to the second week. And again, uh, as a wise man once said, you can't win a tournament in round number one. You can certainly lose it. And to Anz's credit, she either loses in round one or she makes the quarters or semis. And again, good start for her three and one over startup save. I liked what I saw. I liked what I saw from Svitolina. Two and two. She is playing maybe her best tennis. Elisa Mertens is playing the best tennis of her career, moving so well. She ultimately gifted a retirement victory from Sharif, uh, forced to pull out after Mertens, I believe, took the first set. Uh, after Mertens takes the first set, six two. Paulini, three and four over Di- Diana Schneider. Schneider made that match closer down the home stretch of the second set, but Paulini's power tennis just made Schneider too uncomfortable. She punished any floating second serve that she saw. And then, again, Caroline Garcia, straight set winner over Osaka. Your other straight set wins on the day. Shout out Mira Andreeva. Bernarda Pera may have gone down an early break in set number one. She got that break right back and was up a break late in set number one before Andrea kind of pulled away. And I'm telling you, there's a lot of talented 16-year-olds, as I alluded to yesterday. Mira Andreeva's serve is the best of the bunch. It just sets up uh, so many free opportunities for her to do successful things. I was really impressed by what I saw from Andreeva. 5-2 and two victory over Bernarda Pera. You also had Storm Hunter, 4-3 and three over Arani. She was swinging freely yesterday. Sinyakova, 2-5 and five over Jacqueline Christian. Vavara Gracheva, 3-4 and four over Wickmeyer. I said this earlier, Sinyakova, one of my unseated dark horses. Like, if she beats a seed, ends up in the second round, uh, second week, it should surprise no one. Sinyakova going to face Victoria Gulabic in round number two. But then, ooh, a date with Svitolina. Tough, but that's a physical round three match. Two well-rounded players who can all do all sorts of things. So that'll be a fun one to perhaps keep an eye on at the end of this week. Sinyakova, two and five for Jacqueline Christian. Gracheva. Too athletic, too fluid, three and four over Vic Meyer. Same for Tomova against American Kayla Day. Tomova just could absorb the lefty's pace, the heavy spin. Kayla Day is going to be nightmare on clay on the hard courts. Tomova too much, a four and two victory. I mentioned the one in love for Podoroska. And then I'm just telling you, the size, weapons, and movement of Rebecca Masarova. The Spaniard's just a tough out. Gets a straight set win over Sasnovich. I think she's going to beat 28th seeded Lucia Serenko in round number two. I guess we'll find that fact out on day number four. But certainly one to keep an eye on. Rebecca Masarova, your last straight set winner on the women's side on the day. On the men's side, talked about the four set results already in terms of the straight set winners. How about Hubie Hercots? Tested in set number one, ultimately Omar Jessica, the lefty, former junior U.S. Open champion, who has a heck of a story we can explore a different day. Just not enough juice to paint, uh, to pressure Hercots. Hercots firing freely on the forehand wing. Always important for him to get early wins at majors as he often gets tripped up in these early rounds. Six, uh, seven, six, six, four, six, two. He advances. Shout out Ben Shelton. Was down a break in set number two. Gets it right back and ultimately 6-2-7-6-7-5. He pulled away from RBA. RBA just couldn't hurt him. And Shelton can now match RBA physically. And so again, Ben had the bigger weapons. RBA had no advantage in that match. That's the biggest compliment I can offer. The progression of Ben. Straight set win into round number two. Again, another guy defending quarterfinal points. And yet, you look for Ben Shelton. He has dropped. That's actually a fascinating one. Where is Ben Shelton sitting in the rankings? He's still 16th in the rankings, despite losing quarterfinal points from last year. So, yeah. He legitimately could make a top 10 push just by winning 10 more matches this year than he won last season, just given how little success he had between Australia and the U.S. Open in 2023. Anyways, good victory for him uh, to kick things off in straight sets over RBA. You also had Davidovich Fokina. Same deal. Lestien just couldn't hurt him with any sort of consistency. 4-4-6. Four, four, and six. He wins. And then I hate to say it, same deal for Tomas Martin Echeverri. The 30th seed just was better than Andy Murray at everything, including the physical aspects, the discipline, the consistency. Had the bigger weapons. 4-2-2 two, and two. Echeverri. That is a comfortable and impressive Impressive straight set victory, and one that's got to be nice after tight three set losses to kick off his 2024 campaign. Echeverry in the winner's circle with a straight set win over Andy Murray. Your other straight set winners on the day, I mentioned Menchik. How about Alexi Popperin? Straight sets over Mark Pullman's. Good start for a guy trying to keep 
his top 50 position. Monfi, as electric as expected. Straight sets over Yana Kaufman, Jung uh, Zhen. Weapons were too big. As consistent as Federico Correa was, Jung better in the biggest moments. 4-6-6. Six, and six. That is an impressive three-set win. As was Nuno Borges' straight set win over Max Martyr. Was just able to keep pressure on the lefty. Prevent him from swinging freely. 5-6-2 five, five, uh, five, and two win for the former Mississippi State All-American. Good win for Chris Eubanks. Knocks out last week's Auckland finalist Taro Daniel. 6-4-6-2-6-3. Six, 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 His pace just overwhelmed Daniel. Impressive stuff for Eubanks. Who again doesn't have a ton of points to defend to start the year. He's already up four spots to 31 as a result of his round one victory. Your four set winners to wrap things here. Shout out Emil Rusevori. Patrick Kipson came out swinging. Rusevori's pace was just too much for the former AM All Americans. 4 6 6 3 6 4 7 6. Rusevori advances. Your sneaky best match of yesterday, Miamir Kesmenovich versus Yasuki Watanuki, was two top 50 players just going at it. And the consistency of Kesmenovich wins out over the firepower of Watanuki. 4 6 7 5 6 3 6 4. That was a fun one from start to finish. And then shout out Huku Gaston. The lefty who has fallen outside of the top 100 gets a much needed four set victory over Carbeas Baena with the win. He's sitting at 85, up 12 spots in the live ranking. So excuse me, he was at 97 in jeopardy of falling outside of the top 100, no longer up 85 spots as a result of his round two, uh, day two win. That said, that's everything. From a 56 singles match day two at the 2024 Australian Open. Now, of course, if you're looking for a preview of day three or any day's matches throughout the course of this Australian Open, the Great Shot podcast feed will be the place for you. A shout out, as always, to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the f*** of an editing job he does day in, day out, making all of our content possible. A shout out as well to the support we get from our dear friends at Tennis Point. Remember, it's tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15 for all of the latest and greatest products in the tennis world. With that said, for our fantastic super producer, Daniel Westhoff, our friends at Tennis Point, from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I am your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say, that's the break, and we'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.